All right, good morning. I know you ladies don't like this kind of weather. It's a bad here day. Uh, you know, the Bible says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. So last night, you know, we're excited to come to Beacon as usual, and we're planning that we're going to get here early, and the doors are going to be closed because, you know, classes are still going on, and didn't work like that. Coming south on 95, traffic just stopped. And when we got two miles north of your exit here at Jupiter, a terrible accident with about five different vehicles torn up. And so northbound traffic is just at a standstill. And, um, you know, we had been hoping that some first-time visitors would come today, but I don't think they made it because they're coming from West Palm. So we need to pray for those people involved in that accident and pray for Brother Jeff and his family. Uh, we just don't know what the day will bring, and that's why, you know, we ought to make sure that our souls are saved. I um, want to encourage you to come back tonight Pastor Hunter is a dear friend of ours. We've known him for many, many years. And um, we're like family with them, with him and his sons and their families. And um, the thing I admire about Pastor Hunter is that in spite of what's going on, he walks with the Lord. And his life has built a legacy down through the generations. And he's just a godly man. And... Um, and appreciate him, love him, love his family, and pray that you come and hear him tonight. So this morning, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 3, very familiar passage. And I always think of passages like this that for most, most part we know very well. We've read it, we've probably heard messages. I've never preached this message here, but you've probably heard messages from this passage. you may read it many times, but... I think of it as a photo album. You know, us old folks, we know what photo albums are. Young people today, they don't know about that. They just get a flash drive or something and just go through the internet, go through the computer. But, you know, we have photo albums and we look at those photo albums many times. Nothing changes, seeing the same pictures, but sometimes we catch some detail that we missed the last time. Or we watch movies. You know, you guys know what I'm talking about. You, um... Your wife says, hey, can we watch this Hallmark movie? And you say, well, we've seen it three times. Yeah, but honey, it's just so romantic. And then you think to yourself, well, I can score some points so that when Labor Day comes, I can go play golf with the guys, you know? <laughs> so you sit and you watch it the third time. But even in seeing a movie more than once, you pick up things that you missed the last time. And so we're going to look at this passage that we're familiar with, the story of Nicodemus interacting with the Lord Jesus, and I pray that we'll see something and learn something this morning that we probably missed the last time. Jesus says in John 3, verse 7, Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. Let us pray. Our Father, this morning we're grateful for this church, for the facilities, we thank you that we can be inside where it's warm and dry. And there are people today, Lord, who are struggling. Pray for those folks that were in that accident earlier this morning. 
Let's pray that you'd be with them and the doctors. Pray, Heavenly Father, for Brother Jeff and his family. Comfort them. Again, they grieve because of an accident. But these incidents help us to realize how important it is to have that assurance of salvation so that if today brings death, we'll be absent from this body but present with the Lord. For those of us who are saved, I pray that you'd help us to appreciate even more our great salvation as we visit this passage. For those who might be here this morning and have no assurance or have never been born again, I pray that you'd make it clear to them and the Spirit of God might impact their heart in such a way that today they trust Jesus Christ as Savior. Holy Spirit, be my help now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When we get to the Gospels, we find that it's a description given by four different individuals with different backgrounds of the life of Christ while he was on earth. We find that his ministry is prefaced by 40 days in the wilderness. And as he comes out of the wilderness, he begins his earthly ministry. No fanfare, no major announcement, but he just begins to interact with the people in the community. He preaches the message that will bring hearers out of darkness and into light. He heals those who are afflicted. And part of his plan is to gather men unto him so that they can be his helpers. They would have a close working relationship with him. They were, would be committed to him and devoted to him and loyal to him. He called them disciples, students, pupils, followers. And in a very short time, the Lord Jesus becomes famous. Everybody's talking about him, not just individual human beings, but the community is abuzz because of Jesus. The region is talking about Christ. They're captivated and impacted by this man. And so when situations like that arise, the natural reaction of those who are in power is to feel threatened. And so in that day, the politicians and the religious hierarchy are extremely uncomfortable with Christ. And the reason is because he's having such an effect on the multitudes of people. And they even send scouts out to hear what he has to say. Now, as is always the case even today, some who are in positions of power have their own personal opinions, their own personal perspective, their own personal questions and thoughts on issues of the day, controversial issues. But because they're afraid to lose their position and their prestige and their power, they just keep quiet. And they go along with the status quo and follow the crowd. And they, they don't want to rock the boat. But deep down, they have a burning desire to check out the facts for themselves and find out really what's going on. Well, such was the case with this gentleman that we find in John chapter 3, named Nicodemus. He was a man in a position of power and prestige, both religiously and politically. 
And he had a lot to lose, but he just could not rest until he did some personal investigation into the Lord himself. And so in John chapter 3 and verse 1, the Bible says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And in this passage, we are, we are given the fact that Nicodemus has three titles. He's a Pharisee, he's a ruler, and Jesus even calls him a master in verse 10. A Pharisee was a, a person who had a different manner of life from the general public. Pharisees were zealous for religion, and the expectations placed on them caused people to believe that they were perfect. In addition, Nicodemus was also a ruler of the Jews, which means that he held a position of authority and honor, which required that he had an education of the highest standard, which is why Jesus referred to him as a master of Israel. And so religiously, politically, and educationally, Nicodemus was not just versed, he was exemplary. And so with this background and this introduction, I want us to look this morning at three occurrences in the life of Nicodemus. The first one is that we find him looking for Jesus. Verse 2 says, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. So Nicodemus here is seeking to find the Lord Jesus in the dark of night. And that raises a few questions in my mind. The first one is, why would a Pharisee even be looking for Jesus? You see, we have to keep in mind that there were about 6,000 Pharisees during that time. And the Pharisees hated Jesus. Matthew 12, verse 14 said, The Pharisees went out and held counsel against him, how they might destroy him. John 9, verse 16, then said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God. And yet here is one Pharisee who is driven to go and speak to the Lord Jesus. I believe... Nicodemus' conscience had been pricked. Somewhere along the line, he must have heard Jesus speaking. His conscience was awakened because of the word of God that came from the lips of the Lord Jesus. And I have found that many times a person is walking through this life, and some Christian says something containing the word of God, and it pricks that person's conscience and causes that person to think. And the reason for that is because of how the scriptures are described. Hebrews 4 verse 12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word discerner is where we get our word critique. The original word is kritikos. We get our word critique and critic. A critic is somebody who is skilled in judging. And this is why people get convicted when the word of God is preached in power. Because it gets deep down into the core of the human being and exposes 
our violations and our sins. It, it lays us bare before a holy God. And we can't help that. This is what the word of God does. And it's not a comfortable feeling. But it's so important. David said in Psalm 119 verse 30, The entrance of thy word giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. This is why there is very little profit in debating the word of God. It's best to quote the word of God and just let it go. Let God do its work. Thy word will not return unto thee void, the Bible says. Sometimes just one verse can strike the heart of an individual. The Bible, I love this verse, Mark 8 verse 36, For what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, you know, and I said to him, well, you know, how would you answer this, this question, which is what it is? For what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And immediately he began to say, you know, I, pe I treat people with respect. All my life I have treated people the way I want to be treated. But that's not the answer to the verse. What shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You leave that with an unsaved person and God will bring it back to his memory in the middle of the night. And when he has to answer that, that, that verse, that question, can convict him and draw him to Christ. The verse that arrested my soul was John 3 verse 19. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. That thing smote me. That's what drew me to Christ. So Nicodemus is here seeking the Lord. Why would a Pharisee do that? And then the other question is, why did Nicodemus come to Jesus at night, in the dark of the night? Well, from a human standpoint, we could say, well, Jesus was busy in the daytime, and Nicodemus had his responsibilities. So why not just wait till both men have finished working for the day, and then he could meet with him? Or... Jesus was always surrounded by crowds. Nicodemus wanted to have the Lord all to himself in privacy. Valid reasons. But I believe the reason that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night was because he was afraid. He was afraid of what his colleagues would say if they saw him talking to the Lord. He was also afraid that all his authority and all his reputation was built on an error. And Jesus was going to expose that. It's like building up a house of cards. And then your grandson comes in and just knocks out the bottom and everything goes flat. He's probably thinking all my adult life, this is what I've held to, this is what I've taught, this is what I've preached, this is what I've believed but what this man is saying blows this to smithereens. And you see, Nicodemus had a lot to lose. And these are some of the fears that human beings have even today. They ask themselves the question, what would people think about me if I declared publicly 
that I am a believer, that I am a follower of Jesus Christ? Would I be ridiculed? Would I be made fun of? Would people say, with all your education and all your experience and all your power, you really believe this junk? People are afraid. Young people are afraid because people say, what, what are you talking about? You have your whole life ahead of you. The Bible says that the fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. It's not what human beings think about us, it's what God knows about us. It's important. So deep inside the heart of Nicodemus there was a void, and he truly believed that Jesus had something that could fill that void. And so fear or no fear, he went to him. Knowing that outwardly he was perfect. He prayed, he fasted, he gave, he worshipped. He read the scriptures, he attended the synagogue. But still, there was an empty void in his soul. that None of that could fill. And he longed to have peace. He longed to know that when he faced death, there was hope beyond the grave. And every one of us is born with that longing. God designed us that way. And only Jesus can fill that longing. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Amen. Acts 4 verse 12. So he went to him with all his fears and all his questions and all his doubts and all his sin and guilt and all his curiosity, which is exactly what the songwriter meant when he said, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict and many a doubt, fightings and fears within and without, O Lamb of God, I come. Jesus is waiting with open arms. The second occurrence we find in the life of Nicodemus is the fact that he was listening to Jesus. He came looking for him and now he's listening to him. And by the way, you'll notice that when Nicodemus came to the Lord, he didn't scold him. Jesus didn't insult him. Jesus didn't confront him. He didn't say, hey, all this time you've been talking to the Jews. What foolishness is that? No. He accepted him, and I believe in his heart, Jesus was so happy that Nicodemus had come to talk to him. And he does not accuse us either. Come now, he says, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. What a wonderful Lord we have. So Nicodemus comes to the Lord and he begins the conversation and he acknowledges the fact that Jesus must be from God and he focuses on miracles. You must be from God because no man can do these miracles except God be with him, he says. 
But if we notice in verse 3, the answer that Jesus gives to Nicodemus has nothing to do with miracles. Jesus says, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus bypassed the opening of the conversation and went straight to the real deep question that Nicodemus had burning in his soul. I know you want to know how to get to heaven. I know how you want to have the assurance that you're going to see the kingdom of God. And this is a question that people ask from time to time. Even saved people ask this question. I'm teaching a class now, and one of the folks in the class asked me this question last week. She said, Hugh, do you have doubts? And I said, yeah. In the beginning, I used to drive my car down the road, and I used to think to myself, man, the earth is 25,000 feet the perimeter of it. 300,000 earths can fit into the sun. We are just one little planet in the entire Milky Way galaxy and there are millions of galaxies. And I'm just one little speck on the earth. Are you telling me that God loves me? That he thinks about me? Sure, I've had doubts. Is this real? But then I said to her, as the years have gone by, I have no doubt, absolutely no doubt. I know when my time comes and I close my eyes, first person I'm going to see when I open my spiritual eyes is the Lord Jesus. I have no doubt. No, I don't, I don't want to have pain and all of that stuff, you know, and people have to take care of me and... You know, if, if I get to 100 and then the Lord just takes me on a Sunday morning while I'm preaching, that, that would be great. <laughs> it's not death that I'm worried about. It's the, it's the, the, the preface to it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a coward. But he'll give me the grace. So Jesus goes straight to the point. And he says, verily, verily, I say unto you, you must be born again. And you know, the question we ask is, what really happens to me when I die? Especially if we happen to be present when life leaves the body of a loved one at death. That is when we really face our mortality because we see, we see what happens. It's, it's over. It's over. And you say, one day that's going to be me. I need to be sure. And the answer that Jesus gave to Nicodemus shocked him. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus came inquiring of Jesus, and what he heard was more than what he had anticipated. He says in verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Are you telling me that a six foot two man, six feet two inches man weighing 200 pounds must crawl back up into his mother's womb and then stay there for a little while even though she's five foot five and then crawl back out again? I know that's a little graphic, but you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> you see, Nicodemus didn't understand 
Because the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned or understood. And this was Nicodemus's problem. With all his religion and all his education, he totally missed the very first thing that Jesus said to him. The first thing. And the Lord Jesus now begins to patiently explain. And he says in verse 5, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. Jesus here demonstrates the basic rule for teaching. In order to teach a person something, you need to take them from where they are to where you want them to be. You need to take them from the unknown, from the known rather, to the unknown. And the subject here is the new birth. So what is the new birth? Well, we all know that the first birth is the beginning of life. So the new birth is the beginning of new life. <laughs> it's that simple. Every single one of us is born of earthly parents. That means we're all born with a sinful nature. David said, behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. And because of this fact, we're separated from God at birth. And that is why we have this void, this empty feeling inside, because we need to have communion with God in order to be totally fulfilled and at peace. But as long as we live in that natural state, we're alienated from, from the Lord. And if we die in that condition, we can't go to heaven. The devil comes along and, you know, he gives us this spiel about, well, good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. Not true. Not true. Good people go to hell, saved people go to heaven. So what is the solution? You must be born again. The first birth is natural. The first birth is earthly. The first birth is fleshly. The first birth is unto sin. The first birth is of man. But the new birth, the second birth, is supernatural. It is heavenly. It is spiritual. It's unto righteousness. It's of God. There's a difference. Jesus was trying to show Nicodemus the fact that in order to see the kingdom of God, two births are necessary. Absolutely necessary. Except a man be born of the water, he begins to say. This is the natural birth. By the way, this is not referring to baptism. Baptism pictures death, not life. We die in Christ. And then we're raised to walk in the newness of life. It's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So this water here is not baptism. Every baby ever born comes via water. And any mother would be willing to give you her story of when her water broke. Sorry to be graphic again, but this is a biology class. My water broke. And all the mothers have different stories. You know, when I was in the cab, 
You know, I was in the shower. But this water that she's talking about is amniotic fluid. That's what houses the baby, protects the baby, makes the babies in there just bouncing around and smiling, waiting in to say, oh man, I'm dying to get out of this place. <laughs> amniotic fluid. When that goes, now we're going to be born. So except a man be born of the water, amniotic fluid, first birth, natural, and then of the spirit, second birth, new birth, spiritual, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Without the natural birth, a man cannot live on this earth. Without the spiritual birth, a man cannot live in heaven. Now that's a powerful statement. Because we have to ask ourselves, have I been born again? We ought to be able to say, I have a birth I don't remember, but I have one that I can't forget. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That means sinful with a sin nature and literally disqualified from living in heaven. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit and qualifies us for living in heaven. Praise the Lord. And Jesus sums it up by saying in verse 7, Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. Don't be overwhelmed by that. Don't be surprised by that. It's absolute. And when I was preparing this, I thought to myself, the one who created all things is giving the answer to having eternal life. Who in the world would argue against him? And yet people today argue. I go to church. I treat others the way I want to be treated. I pay tithes. I pray. You're going to argue with God? Or are you going to say, wow, didn't know that. I want to be born again. But what is the new birth? John gives us a little insight, just one page back in chapter 1, where he says in verse 11, He, Jesus, came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So the new birth is not by relation. It's not by who is your father and who is your grandfather. Rick and Andy and Ben can't stand before the Lord and say, well, my daddy served the Lord faithfully for decades, so I deserve a pass. No. Each one of those young men have had to trust Jesus Christ as their personal savior on their own. They can't depend on their dad. It's not by blood. It's not by relation. It's not by reformation. And he used that word this morning. Not by reformation. We can't say, well, it's 2023, a new year. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to chew. I'm not going to kiss the girls and boys that do. <laughs> it's not reformation. It's not by the will of the flesh. And then it's not by the will of man. It's not re rehabilitation. When we hear that word, we think of the many institutions, penile institutions, and people in there are supposed to be rehabilitated so that the offender can come out and be a 
productive part of society. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. These organizations emphasize spiritually based programs that target needs and skills. And some of these needs and skills and, and behavioral changes are used by some of these people that say they're preaching the word of God on TV. But it's not by rehabilitation. John chapter 1 says it's by God. That's regeneration. Regeneration. Regeneration through the power of God. Only God can bring about regeneration in the life of a human being. Regeneration means to redo that which was ruined. That's regeneration. But why are we ruined? The Bible teaches us that we were created with a body, soul, and spirit. And when the first man, Adam, was created, all three parts functioned. Body, soul, and spirit. But when he sinned, his spirit died. His spirit ceased to function. Remember what God said to him. The Lord God commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou shalt eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. And we all know the story very well. Adam willfully disobeyed God and ate of the fruit of the forbidden tree. But he didn't drop dead. Live for many years, hundreds of years. Well, God cannot lie, so what happened? Well, the moment he partook of that fruit, his spirit ceased to function. And from that point on, all human beings that have come from Adam and Eve have been born in that condition. Body functions, soul functions, spirit non-functioning. And that's the part that communicates with God. That's why there is a void. That's why there is an emptiness. Because our good works can't make us start talking to God all of a sudden. But when the new birth comes, there is regeneration and the spirit comes alive. Ephesians 2 verse 1, And you hath he quickened, you hath he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's what happens when we get saved. And by the way, regeneration is a Bible word. Titus 3, verses 5 and 6. Not by works of righteousness which you have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So it's a Bible word. And regeneration transforms us. And it takes us to a place where we know admire God. And we have gratitude towards the Lord. And we depend upon him and we're loyal to him and we love his word and we love his people. It wasn't happening before. But now we're alive, spiritually. We're born again. For some people, Jesus was just a name to swear by. But when they get born again, it becomes a name that is above every name. And a name that is praised and worshipped. Only God can do that. When a man is born again, there must be change. There's going to be changed. Change. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. 
The Spirit of God lives inside us and helps us and changes us. And this is what Jesus was talking about in verse 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. But canst not tell when it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Yesterday was a windy day, remember? We went outside. Nobody can say to me, I saw the wind. can't see the wind, but the trees. And the leaves rustling and we saw the evidence of the wind. Amen? The evidence. And that's what Jesus is saying. When a person is born again, you're not going to see what's happening on the inside. But you're going to see the evidence of that new birth. And there will be change and changes. Because regeneration has taken place. I have a good friend who is not saved, and from time to time, he and I talk on the phone, and a couple of weeks ago, we were talking, and I always bring it around to something from the Bible, or a principle, or a verse, or something, and um, so he said, you know, I talk to so many people, and they, they always mention this born-again stuff, this born-again stuff, but the thing is, I don't see any difference in their life. This is an unsaved person. I said, preach it, brother. No, not brother. I never said that. I just thought it. An unsaved man is saying it. So even an unsaved person says, well, if you're going to use this born-again stuff, then your life should be different. There should be evidence. What an indictment. And so, of course, you know, I think to myself, I wonder what people think about me. The new birth will bring about changes in the life of the believer. And that's what happened in Nicodemus' life. We saw him looking for Jesus. We saw him listening to Jesus. Finally, we find him living for Jesus. In John chapter 7, the Pharisees are reviling the Lord Jesus and ridiculing him and criticizing anyone who is believing in him. And Nicodemus comes to the defense of the Lord and he says, Our law makes it clear that every man has the right to be heard before he's judged. And then in John chapter 19, after the brutal murder of the Lord Jesus on the cross, Nicodemus comes to Pilate with Joseph of Arimathea and requests permission to take the body so they can prepare it for burial. His fear has now turned to love and loyalty. And Nicodemus is now publicly identifying with the Lord Jesus. That's evidence that there is a change. So the, the term born again should not be used frivolously. It's the only guarantee that we have to assure us a place in heaven when we die. And it will come with changes. Peter said, for in time past of our life, may suffer us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein now they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Dude, what is wrong with you? You're missing out, dude. It's okay, dude. The emptiness of my life has been filled, and I have a peace that passeth all understanding. 
So the question is this morning, where are you? And you've got to be honest before the Lord. Is there a void in your life? Is there doubt? Or do you have a hundred percent full assurance that if you died today, heaven would be your home? Can you pinpoint a time in your life when you clearly understood that Jesus died for your sins because you're a sinner? That you asked him to forgive you of your sins and come into your heart and save you. That is so important because we don't know what tomorrow holds. All of us are born, the Bible says, as sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Jesus paid that wage, that price. God commended his love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And if we're willing to believe that and accept his death for us, then all we have to do is just reach out by faith and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Believe that you died on the cross, that you rose again, and I ask you to come into my heart and be my Savior. And the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Only the Lord knows why he laid this message upon my heart this morning, for this morning. And my prayer is that God will use it to speak to every heart. For those of us who know Christ, we can rejoice. I remember I preached this message once before, and a gentleman came up to me after the, church, after the service and said, man, I wish I could get saved again. I understood what he meant. But you know, Having that assurance counteracts all the anxieties that come along with doubt. And when people are in a panic, we can just be even keel. But if you're here this morning and you're not sure, I beg you, settle it before it's too late. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. This is a very private time. And if you're here this morning and you say, Hugh, if I was to be honest, I really can't tell you that I'm 100% sure that if I die today, I go to heaven. Not sure. I ask you to pray for me. Now, I don't know your name, but God knows. And if you're like that, just slip your hand up, put it right back down. God bless you, sir. I'm not sure. Please pray for me. Anybody else? I'm not sure. Pray for me. Along with this gentleman. <laughs> Our Father, this morning, the Bible tells us that heaven rejoices over one person that comes to know Christ. Over a 99 just persons. And so I pray for this dear gentleman. You know his heart. And I pray, Lord, that he would settle it today. For those of us who are saved and we know it, I think I want to just lift my hand in praise and say, thank you, Lord. Would you join me? Thank you, Lord, for my salvation. Thank you. Lord, we praise you for the day that we heard the gospel, we believed it, and trusted Jesus as our Savior. Thank you for the changes that you've made in our lives. Thank you for the way you've used so many of us in so many ways. Help us, dear Lord, to 
have this solidified. And when the doubts come along, refer to the truth of God's word. Have your way now in this time of invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.